It's called a barn burner, I guess they call it.
Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here with us this morning. And it is uh, Pastor Brady's first Sunday. We're excited to have him and his family here and, and uh, for him to be starting here in the pulpit this morning. And, and don't worry, Brady, there's a whole lot of names that people have for Todd, so uh, <clears throat> you'll learn some of them in the weeks and months ahead. Um, need to just move on before start, Todd starts talking. But welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here with us this morning. If you're a guest with us, you'll see this little white guest registration card there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you'll take just a moment to complete that for us and fill it out at the conclusion of the service, as you're heading out the doors, if you head up to your left, uh, Brady will be there at the welcome desk and he'd love to have the chance to meet you. see many people with name tags on this morning. Thank you for participating in that. And that's a great way, uh, even for people that are new, not only to get to meet Brady and for, to help him learn names, but maybe for you to get to learn names uh, of each other as well. And so thank you for doing that. We appreciate you uh, participating in that as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue to sing and to worship the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sunday that we can come and worship you and gather in your place. And, Read your word and be challenged and encouraged in our faith. Father, we pray for Brady and for Jennifer. We thank you for them being here. And we pray just for Calvin and Lucy as all of them, if they've made this transition here. And we pray that you continue to make that a smooth and easy transition for them. We know that's a lot to go on and moving and uh, being in a new, new place, in a new church, in a new town. So, Father, we just pray that you... Um, would just help them to feel welcome and, and help them to feel part of Manchester and part of First Baptist Manchester. God, we thank you for your love. And this morning we pray as we uh, begin studying the book of Colossians that, that you would just teach us about who you are and teach us about how we ought to live our lives. God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and let's sing together. God so loved us.
he loved me. That's an amazing thing to think of. That Jesus loves us. I was lost. I was in chains. The world had a hold of me. My heart was a stone. I was covered in shame when he came for me. I couldn't run, couldn't run from his presence. I couldn't run, couldn't run from his arms. Jesus, he loves me. He loves me. He is for me. Jesus, how can it be? give it anyway and that just blows our minds Lord thank you for loving us thank you for going all the way to the cross and paying the ultimate price for our sins that we may have fellowship with you for eternity and for that Lord we praise you today Lord I pray for for Brady as he comes and brings your message Lord I pray that you'll just open our hearts up to hear from you today Lord 
And uh, Lord, help us to, to be different than we, when we came because we have experienced you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Todd, I, when you ask what to call me, I was just glad you got my name right. <laughs> all right, so, and no name tag. Sometimes I've been Brad to Todd so far, all right? So, good morning. If you have a Bible, will you open to Colossians chapter 1? We'll be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. If I haven't met you yet, I want to introduce myself. My name is Brady Martin. I am now your lead pastor. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm excited to be here. You see, over the last several weeks from when I stood in this pulpit before, there's a lot that's transpired, and most of it has to do with boxes. And all of that was difficult, but it's all worth it to be able to stand here right now and say those words, open up your Bibles. Because what I love to do is to teach the Bible. And it is great to be here at First Baptist. It's an honor to stand on the shoulders of a giant like Dr. Cox as we move forward into the next season of ministry. I look forward to getting to know every one of you and can't wait to see what God will do. Some have asked, what do I want to be called? Well, I'm happy to be called Pastor Brady, Brother Brady, or just Brady. That's the, the name my mama gave me, all right? So um, I'm happy to be called whatever you're comfortable with, and um, I look forward to serving as your pastor. This morning, we're going to begin a series in the book of Colossians. And I want to, as we walk through this book over the next 10 weeks, we'll go all the way till the first Sunday in December, and over the next 10 weeks, I want to challenge each and every person here with something. I'm calling it the Colossians Challenge. And I want to challenge you to read through the book of Colossians once a week from now through the next 10 weeks. That may seem like a lot, but it, it's not. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes to read through, it's just a few chapters. And you can listen to it if you have an audio Bible on your way to work one day a week. I want to challenge you. Read through the book of Colossians over the next 10 weeks 10 times. And one of the things that I think God will do through the Holy Spirit is to shape us into the people he wants us to be. One of the reasons that I want to teach through the book of Colossians as my first series here is I believe it's timely for the church today. It's incredibly important. Well, what's the emphasis of the book of Colossians? Well, let me give you three verses that I think clue us into that. First, let's look at Colossians 1.10. Colossians 1.10 says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Paul wants them to walk worthy and to grow in the knowledge of God. Look at Colossians 1.28 as our second one. It says, we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So he wants them to walk worthy, and he wants them to be mature in Christ. And thirdly, Colossians 2.6-7. Where he says, so then, just as you received Christ, Jesus, as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. So take those three ideas. He wants us to walk worthy, grow in the knowledge of God. He wants every one of us to become mature in Christ, and he wants us to be rooted and built up. So what's the theme of the book of Colossians? I want to say it this way. That God wants you to become all that he has created you to be in Christ. God wants you to become all that he created you to be in Christ. 
And here's what I mean. God doesn't just want to see people come to know Christ. He does want that. But he wants to see people come to maturity in Christ. He wants for each and every person in this room, he wants to see you saved. He wants to see you part of his family, part of his kingdom. But he also wants to see you walking worthy of the gospel. He wants to see you grow up into maturity in Christ. And in other words, he wants you to be rooted in in Christ. And the only way that we can be built up, it says, is to be rooted in Christ. So here's the argument Paul is making. The only way you can grow up in Christ is by growing deeper in Christ. Growing up in Christ by growing deeper in Christ. Here's another way we might say it. If we want to see fruit in our lives, we must have deep roots. There's no gospel fruit without gospel roots. And so in this book, he is going to argue that he wants each of us to become all that we were created to be in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we become the church that God has created us to be? How do we become the people he's created us to be? Well, let's dive into verse 1 and find out together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. Well, let's stop there, and we notice something about the background of this letter. First, who the author is. It's the apostle Paul. And it's easy for us to skip over that part. But let's remember, Paul was not always the church planter missionary that he became. Remember, Paul wasn't always a follower of Jesus. He was once a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the Old Testament law. He was trained under the most well-known rabbi of the day, Gamaliel. And Paul persecuted Christians. He hated those who followed Jesus. He was one who would go and find a family, a mom and dad and young kids, and have them put in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But one day, as he was going to Damascus, over to Syria, to go find Christians and arrest them, the Apostle Paul encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul went from terrorizing Christians to bowing the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. He had gone from terrorist and would become the world's greatest missionary the world has ever seen. That's who's writing this letter to Colossae. And here's what I want you to know. If God can take a terrorist like Saul and make him the world's greatest missionary, some of you may have people in your life right now who you know are not walking with the Lord. You may have people in your life right now who you know are far from God. And it's easy to think, man, can God do anything about this? My son, my daughter, my grandchild, my mom, my dad, my uncle. And you have people in your life. I just want to remind you as we begin this letter that if God can change a terrorist like Saul and make him into a missionary, he can change your loved one's life too. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter. And who's he writing it to? He's writing it to the church at Colossae. Notice verse 2. It says, To the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So who's he writing to? The people in Colossae. Well, who, who is Colossae? I have a picture here of what Colossae looks like today. It is a city about 100 miles east of Ephesus there in Turkey. And it is a city in a, the Lycus Valley near a mountain called Mount Calmus. It was a place that had once been a little bit larger town, but had now become a small town. 
And it was still a significant city because it was on a major highway. And people would come through there. Even King Xerxes would come through there as he was headed to Greece for his famous battle. And so there in Colossae, you found people coming through on the major highway. And one of the things I noticed was, in some ways, Colossae is like Manchester. It's a smaller town, near the mountains, on a major highway. And we have all kinds of people coming through our town, don't we? And so we see here this church in Colossae. But one of the th interesting things about it, if Paul didn't found this church, it, he didn't, as far as we know, ever go to the church at Colossae. It was founded by a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras was a man who had heard Paul preach in Ephesus. He had repented of his sins, trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior, and then had gone back to his hometown of Colossae, preached the gospel, and started a church. Well, things had been going well, but like all young churches, some issues arose, and Epaphras wanted to know how to handle them. And so he went back to the Apostle Paul, who was in prison, and he asked Paul to write a letter to the church at Colossae. And says, will you help deal with some of these issues that, is, that have arisen? And so Paul is writing the letter to this church in Colossae to deal with these issues that have been raised. And that's how Paul is going to kick off this letter. He's going to tell the church just how thankful he is that they are rooted in the gospel. He says that you are rooted in the gospel. And so this morning, I want you to know one clear thing. If you are going to become the person that God wants you to be, if we are going to become the church that God wants us to be, we must be rooted in the gospel. We must be rooted in the gospel. There's no other way. And he's going to tell this church that he's so thankful to God because they are rooted in the gospel, and he's going to give them four signs of it. Four signs of a church that's rooted in the gospel. And we'll see them real clearly here in verses 3 through 6. Let's look at verse 3. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's the first sign. If you are rooted in Christ, if your roots are rooted in the gospel, the first thing you'll have is faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He doesn't just say they had faith. We live in a world where people say things like, well, you just need to have faith. But, but here's the thing. Having faith isn't enough. Having faith in Jesus Christ is enough, but having faith generically is not. You see, it's faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just having faith that all things are going to work out. You need to have faith in a very particular object, and that object is Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate. If your faith is in the wrong object, it won't work out for you. See, I put my faith in the wrong object every September for the last 25 years. So I, in September, every year I think this is the year that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. It's looking pretty good this year. But, but here's the thing, I put my faith in them. But I have learned if you put your faith in Jerry Jones, he will let you down every time. Amen, that's funny. <laughs> you see, the object of your faith matters. And what Paul is commending them is not just having faith generically, but they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the one who left heaven to come to earth, the one who lived a perfect life, sinless in every way, the one who went to the cross for your sins and mine, and he was nailed to the cross, a crown placed upon his head, his blood poured out for us because there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And when sinners are plunged beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. You see, Jesus Christ is the one we must have faith in. There was a story that was told several years ago about a family that was traveling in a group of pioneers across the American West. And as they were heading west, they crossed a river. And as they were moving further west, they began to see a fire. And the fire was blazing. And they began to notice that the fire was soon surrounding them. It was a grass fire. And when they looked back, they said that we, they looked back at the river, they knew they didn't have time to go back that way. They were trapped. The fire was coming fast. And they didn't know what to do. And as fear filled all the people, one man had an idea. And this man said, he began to command to them, go light this area on fire behind us. And they lit the area on fire. And they burned a big, large place. When the space was burned over, he got all of the group to move into that space. And as the flames roared from the west, a little girl asked him, and she said, are you sure we will not be burned up? The leader told her, my child, the flames cannot reach us here because we are standing where the fire has already been. And the fire went all around them, and they were safe because they were in the place that had already been burnt over. They were in the place where the fire had already come. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, if you have faith in him, I want you to know you are safe in him because you are in the place where the fire has already come. You are in the place where God's judgment has already come. You are in the place where God's anger and wrath has already come. All of God's anger and wrath for your sin was poured out, not upon you, but upon Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. You stand in Christ in the already burnt over place, and you are safe. And when the fires of judgment come, you will be fine because you are in Christ, and he is the only one who will never, ever, unlike the Cowboys, let you down. So this morning, my question is simple. Do you have faith in Jesus? Because without faith in Jesus, you won't be grounded in the gospel. And without being grounded in the gospel, you'll never become the person you were created to be. The second thing we'll see in the second half of verse three, four. It says, you, not only do you have faith in Jesus, but you have love for all of the saints. You have love for all the saints. And that's our second point we want to see. Love for fellow believers. That's the second sign that you're grounded in the gospel. This young church loves one another. It's the kind of church where people were committed to God and to each other. We're living in an interesting cultural moment where people will often say something like this. You know, I can follow Jesus, but I don't need a local church. I can follow Jesus, but I don't need, to, I don't need a local church to be a part of. 
In a new book called The Great Dechurching, the authors write that America is seeing the fastest religious shift in its history. With some 40 million people, one in six American adults, having stopped going to church in the last 30 years. This means 40 million adults right now walking around in our nation used to go to church but no longer do. And here's the interesting thing. It's not because they've all become atheists. It's because they think they can follow Jesus without a local church. In response to this, uh, one pastor named Tony Evans, he said this, he said, I hear people say I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. He says, they're absolutely right. Salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. But here's what he said, he said, but you don't have to go home to be married either. But stay away long enough, and your relationship sure will be affected. You see, the local church is vitally important. The truth is, if we want to become who God wants us to be, we must love our fellow believers. But here's what this means. We must be in a place where we lo can love others and be loved by others. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not connected to a local church, we would love to have you here at First Baptist. Because you see, if you're going to become all that God wants you to be, you must, you must be connected to a local church. So that's the second thing we see, is a love for believers. The third sign of someone rooted in the gospel can be found in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you. So the third sign that you are rooted in the gospel is that you're filled with hope. You're filled with hope. Christians should be the most hopeful people on the planet. Amen? This biblical idea of hope is hard for us, though. Here's why. Because when we say hope, what you mean is, I hope after the week before, Tennessee can beat UTSA this week. It's wishful thinking, right? You hope it's going to happen. You don't know for sure, but you hope it's going to happen. You hope this is, and we think that's the way we think about hope. But hope in the Bible isn't wishful thinking. It's not just hoping that it turns out, right? Hope in the biblical sense is a rock steady confidence that God always keeps his promises. It's confidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's ruling and reigning from the throne of God in heaven. And one day he's coming to make all things new. Our hope is not shaky. It is rock solid. The Bible says here that our hope is reserved for us in heaven. You know, I, I, my great-grandfather, he lived through the Great Depression, and he did not trust banks. He didn't trust banks. So you go around my great-grandfather's house, you could find wads of cash hidden between mattresses over on the fireplace. So as a kid, we loved going, right? <laughs> Don't put any hope in banks, is what he would say. But here's what I want you to know. He was afraid that one day he would go to the bank and his money wouldn't be there. Here's what I want you to know. But that because there is an empty tomb there in the Middle East that was borrowed for a weekend, because of that, 
you do not have to worry because your hope is secured by someone better than the FDIC. Your hope is secured by heaven itself. And if your hope is reserved for you in heaven, there is no way it will fail. Amen? So we have hope. But too many Christians live like Eeyore. Y'all remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Too many Christians are walking around like Eeyore who had the cloud over their head saying, woe is me, and just all just worried about everything. But here, here's, here's what I want you to know. We don't have to live like Eeyore because Jesus Christ has stared death in its face and he has defeated it. We can have hope in the worst circumstances because we know the one who has overcome our biggest enemy of death itself and we can have hope reserved for us in heaven. The worst thing that can happen to us in this life is going to be the best thing that ever happens to us because we get to be in heaven with Jesus Christ. We can have hope. We don't have to walk around like Eeyore, but we can even in the hardest of circumstances walk around with hope and joy. Notice the Apostle Paul. Where is he writing this letter from? prison and he's full of hope why is he full of hope because his hope is not based on his present circumstances but the promises of god and so what we see here is that we can have hope now you may say it can be a little discouraging in our world when we get reports from the secular media of the decline of the church in the united states and this is true in some areas in some places but it's not true in our whole world Notice how just in that verse, Paul says, he's so encouraged that the gospel is going forward. He says, and the gospel is growing, it's expanding into the whole world, and he's so encouraged by how it's doing that. Here's what I want you to know. God has not stopped working in our world. Because our hope is not in a politician. It's not in Washington, D.C. Our hope is centered in heaven from the throne of God. 20 years ago, there were 200 more million Christians in the United States than in Africa. Today, there are 300 million more Christians in Africa than in the United States. Did you know that there are 100 million Christians in China? And statistics say that 16,000 Christians are added every day in the country of China. The church is fastest growing in, a, in Iran did you know that in the last 15 years, more Muslims have come to know Christ than the last 1,400 years? Jesus has promised to build his church, brothers and sisters, and he is not on retreat. You see, we can have hope because the tomb is empty and the throne is not, and he promises to build his church at FBC Manchester. And so I want to encourage you, we can have hope this morning. So, the third sign is that we are filled with hope. So, if we're rooted in the gospel, we'll be filled with hope. Well, let's look at our fourth sign in the second half of verse 6. It says, since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. So, the fourth sign is that we truly appreciate God's grace. Truly appreciate God's grace. You know... There are very few people who do not know the song Amazing Grace. But I'm afraid far less actually know the amazing grace of God. 
You see, this young church had heard a lot of messages, the people there before. But when Epaphras had come from Paul in Ephesus and shared with them the message of God's grace, it was different than anything they'd ever heard. You see, all other world religions are about how we can achieve, how we can climb the ladder up to God. And if we can climb high enough, if we can do enough good things, if we can be religious enough, then if we can climb high enough on the ladder, then God will love us and accept us. That's what all the messages they had heard. But when Paul came to preach to that church in Colossae, they, or when Epaphras had come, they had heard something different. They heard a message they had never heard before, a message of grace. And instead of a message about humanity climbing the ladder to God, what they heard was how God had actually become a human in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and that God had become man and come down the ladder all the way down to the bottom, to a hill called Calvary where he would die in our place. You see, Christianity is not about us achieving our way to God, but it is about how Jesus Christ has achieved our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. And we receive it, not because we deserve it, but because of the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, there is no one in here who deserves heaven. Every one of us deserves to spend eternity cut off from God in a place called hell. But because of the grace of God, we can be saved. So, you say, well, that, the grace of God, it seems great, but it's hard to really understand it. Well, let me explain it this way. I want you to imagine for a moment that everyone in this room is transported instantly to California to the coast. So, in a moment, we're standing on the coast of California, and I say, we're going to have a contest. Mark Zuckerberg has donated $25 million to us, all right? And the contest is simply this. We're going to have a jumping contest from the coast of California, all right? And if you can jump from the coast of California and you can land on the shores of Oahu, Hawaii, you get $25 million. Doesn't seem promising, does it? Well, we all start off jumping. Todd jumps and he goes three feet. Tim jumps and he goes 100 feet or 10 feet or whatever, right? He jumps 10 feet. We all jump, and somewhere we're all in between Todd and Tim on the jumping, all right? And we're all there. But did any of us reach it? No. You see, actually, when you zoom out, whether you jump three feet or ten feet from the coast of California, you're still incredibly short, aren't you? You see, that's what Paul tells us in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, no one is able to walk into heaven based on their own merit. We all are like trying to jump to Hawaii because the distance between a sinful man and a holy God is far more than the distance between the California shore and the Hawaii shore. You see, what we need is someone who can actually jump for us, who can take us there. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to live the life, to jump the jump that we couldn't. He achieved, he gained the reward. And therefore, when we place our faith in him, it's as if he carries us all the way 
home. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is this. None of us can get to the kingdom of God on our own. It's as futile as jumping to Hawaii. But here's what I know that is so great about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone can be saved if they will turn from their sin and trust in Christ. There's only one condition. You've got to quit jumping on your own. You've got to quit trying on your own. You've got to finally give up on your attempt to try to save yourself and to admit to God, I can't do this myself. I need a Savior who can get me there. I've been jumping, I've been jumping, I've been jumping, but I can't do it. I need a Savior who can get me into the kingdom of God. So this morning, I want you to know that whether you were saved five minutes ago, five weeks ago, five months ago, five years, or 50 years ago, I want to ask you this question. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Is that grace still amazing to your ears? That Jesus Christ has saved you. You see, we can't ever grow into the people we are created to be without being rooted in grace. We must truly appreciate it. So this morning, I want you to know that God wants everyone in this room to be who he created them to be. He wants this church to be who he created her to be. But we will never be who we were created to be if we're not rooted in the gospel. We will never see the fruit that we want to see if we're not deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we, every night, Calvin and I, when we go to bed, Calvin's my son over here, he's, he's seven, and uh, when we, uh, we, we take him to bed and we pray, one of the things that it, we always pray for every night is I pray, God, will you make Calvin into the man you want him to be? That's what Paul wants for the church at Colossae. He's wanting them to become the people that God wants them to be. This morning, I want you to know that's exactly what God wants for you. The Father wants you to become the person you were created to be. But there's a gap in all of our lives. There's a gap between who we are right now and who we were created to be. Closing that gap is what theologians call progressive sanctification. It's discipleship. It's growing in Christ. But here's what I want you to know. We will never become the people we want or what God wants us to be if we are not rooted deeply in the gospel. Because rooted Christians, they have their faith in Jesus Christ. They don't place their faith in money. They don't place their faith in their career. They don't place their faith in their good works. They place their faith not in Jerry Jones, but in Jesus Christ. He is the one who always delivers. Rooted Christians love other believers. They're connected in a local church. I want to encourage you, if you're not connected to a local church, we, I want to encourage you, get connected. Go to a connection group. Try one this morning. And rooted Christians are filled with gospel hope. Gospel hope. And rooted Christians truly appreciate grace. Can you imagine a church filled with Christians like this? A church filled with Christians who are oozing with faith in Jesus. 
that it just spreads out on everyone else. A, a church that it has such a supernatural love for one another. A church that's overflowing with gospel hope. In a church where there is no air of superiority about anyone, or as we say in Arkansas, there's a, a church with no uppityness. Why? Because we know none of us deserve to be here. But we have been shown the radical grace of God. We are not here because we are better than others. We are here because we know the one who paid for our sin, who has shown us radical grace and welcomed us by his blood. And so, can you imagine a church filled with Christians who have deep faith in Jesus, a love for one another, are filled with gospel hope, and truly appreciate God's grace. Because that's exactly the kind of church that Paul wanted in Colossae, and it's exactly the kind of church that God wants at First Baptist Church in Manchester, and it's exactly the kind of church that Manchester and Coffee County needs. It needs a church full of hope a church full of grace, a church that loves one another, and a church full of faith. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at what all that means. And I want to challenge you to start reading the book of Colossians, and let's become the people God wants us to be. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that you will help us become the people you've created and saved us to be. Father, if there is someone in this room right now who has never placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that you will help them trust in him. Because none of us measure up. It is merely by the grace of God that we can be called children of God. So, Father, I pray that you will convict of sin. And I pray that you will save even this morning. Father, if there is someone here who does not have a church home, I pray that you will Help them get connected to us and help them find a family that will love them. Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone in this room who doesn't have hope and just feel like darkness is all around them, I pray that the light of hope will just shining to their lives, that they will see that we have hope because Jesus is truly alive. And I pray that you will just fill their souls this morning with a supernatural hope. Father, if there are those that are in this room who just need a fresh dose of grace, I pray that you will show it to them this morning. They just have walked in and they feel sin all over them. I just pray you will just wash them this morning through your grace. And help us all strive to be the people you want us to be. A people rooted in the gospel. And a people who love you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand and respond however the Lord leads you this morning?
this morning. I'm excited for the, the days ahead at First Baptist. want to remind you of a couple things. We're going to be uh, welcoming the, the Martin family this afternoon, 3 to 5 in the gym. Uh, come enjoy that time with us and uh, get to know them and uh, just show your appreciation for them being here. Uh, also, uh, Thursday, there's a senior adult game day. Uh, senior adults come out. We'll play some games, have some fun uh, in the parlor 1 to 3. Uh, and then uh, just our regular, hope you can get involved in a connection group uh, this morning. If you haven't, aren't in one, uh, you can go to the Welcome Center and, and get connected to one there. And then Wednesday night, we'll be uh, wrapping up some studies uh, this week. Uh, next week for fall break, we're going to have one study. Uh, Brady's going to lead that. Uh, we're going to all be together uh, for one study. And then we'll pick up and start some new studies uh, the, the week after fall break. So I'm uh, just going to make you aware of that. Again, thank you for being here. Uh, let's pray and be dismissed. Father God, we thank you that uh, you have a plan for us and that uh, that plan is to help us to be uh, more like you, God, and help us to lean into uh, maturing in our faith to grow and uh, who you want us to be, God. I pray that you would just help us to um, uh, remember these things and that we would be uh, committed to reading through this book of Colossians and, and uh, just to, to be open to how you're going to grow us in the coming days, God. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. And it's his name we pray. Amen.